Total Skin Nerds is brought to you by SkinFix. We're clean, clinically active, and on a mission to help heal your skin. Welcome to Total Skin Nerds. I'm Amy Risley, the CEO of SkinFix and a first-rate skin nerd myself. On this episode, my guest is Dr. Will Cole, one of the leading and most fascinating functional medicine experts in the world. Based in Pittsburgh, Dr. Cole helps people from all over the world investigating underlying factors of chronic disease and working on issues related to the thyroid, the brain, the digestive system, and more. Functional medicine can also play a big role in addressing skin issues, and I wanted to tap into Dr. Cole's vast body of knowledge to learn how he treats conditions like eczema, rosacea, and psoriasis, and how functional medicine can help heal the skin barrier. Stay tuned now as Dr. Cole talks about what your skin signals about overall health, the link between your gut and your complexion, how to use food and nutrition as medicine for your skin, and so much more. Stick with me, nerds. Don't go away. Dr. Will Cole, so super excited to have you on the Total Skin Nerds podcast today. Um, I am a big follower of yours on Goop Fellas. Um, I have your book, The Inflammation Spectrum, and also The Ketotarian Diet, and a uh, big fan of what you're doing, and just really happy to have you here. My goodness. Thank you so much for the kind words, and I'm excited to be on your podcast. Thank you so much. So, you are a functional medical practitioner, um, which means you use a combination of food and supplements and lifestyle modifications to really help treat disease and treat all sorts of conditions that plague our health. Um, one of the things that really made me sit up straight in my chair was you mentioned in your book that 60% of Americans have a chronic disease and 40% of us have two or more chronic diseases, which was really a frightening statistic. So how much of this in your mind, Dr. Cole, is attributed to inflammation? And how, how did we get here? How did this happen? Yeah, it is sobering statistics, right? And the book kind of starts out with a lot of context to where we are at as a society, because many people know it to some degree. It's some sort of a, abstract idea that yeah chronic diseases like autoimmune conditions and diabetes heart disease cancer people are aware that these numbers are quite high because it's hard to find someone not knowing somebody being impacted by these issues or going through that themselves so to see it all laid out as far as the, the stats are concerned is quite sobering but the book hopefully as you you know because you've read the book it's, it is helpful and there's a lot of things that we do wield in our life that influence our biochemistry for the positive because these are largely overcomable improvable supportable healable reversible things so that's the dichotomy of the time that we live in these are not you know ravaging plagues in the sense of that are taking people out overnight but they are chronic plagues that are taking out society out very slowly and in some some ways quickly in certain instances like certain cancers but yeah, the inflammation is the commonality between all of these health problems. So it's the book is an exploration of how this, this chronic inflammation problem that's going on in our world today, how is it man manifesting in different ways in different people? But inflammation is not 
inherently a bad thing. It is a product of our immune system. So balanced inflammation is quite important to fight viruses and fight bacteria and heal wounds. It's really an essential part of human health. It's inflammation thrown out of balance that's the problem. Chronic inflammation is this forest fire that's burning in perpetuity. That is the issue. It's a lack of homeostasis. It's, it's a breaking of the Goldilocks principle, not too high, not too low, but just right. So we need inflammation when we need it to fight something off, but we need it to calm down. The problem is people have inflammation too high for too long, and that is this connection. Researchers now know that things like cancer and heart disease and diabetes and autoimmune conditions to mental health issues like anxiety and depression and fatigue and brain fog and ADD and ADHD and autism. You see all these numbers rising. You can't have a conversation about mental health without talking about inflammation, but we like to separate in the West mental health from physical health. But in reality, mental health is not separate from physical health. Mental health is physical health. And many people aren't having that full conversation. They just say, well, mental health problems, mental health, and you just need mental health care. What does that really mean, really? If you're really getting to the root cause of the most of the majority of mental health problems in the West, it's an inflammatory problem. It's a physiological problem. That's, that's, that is what's driving anxiety and depression and fatigue in so many, many, many people. But that's not the only inflammatory problem that's rising. It's rising just like all the other problems that are inflammatory. So the word that I'm using here is commonality. It's important to differentiate that from true causation. Yes, it's a commonality. It's a link, but we have to ask the question, what's driving the inflammation itself too? So that's the other part of the exploration that I'm having in the book is Yes, inflammation is this interconnectedness. It's what bonds these different health problems, this common link, but it's not truly the upstream core root component because something's disturbing the immune system to cause that imbalance inflammation in the first place. Um, but with that said, inflammation in one area can throw off inflammation in the other areas or, or cause disruption of balance in the other parts of the area. So for example, inflammation in the gut can cause a cascade of problems in the brain. Uh, so it's, it, it's a big vicious cycle. Uh, while it is an effect, it can also cause other problems because the body's interconnected. So yeah, that's, that's the connection with inflammation and all these health issues. It's interesting. And I mean, we could talk for an entire day, I imagine, on the connection with mental wellness and inflammation. And it's a huge passion uh, project for SkinFix because our, our cause that we donate money to is mental wellness because there's a huge connection between skin issues and people's, you know, self-confidence and levels of anxiety and depression. But I love that light bulb moment for people because many people, we just are not told this growing up. We're not told this. We don't hear this at the doctor's visits. We don't hear it on television. We just somehow it's this separate thing. When you, someone's going through anxiety or depression, it's this separate thing. But the idea, I mean, you're right. Insulin resistance doubles your risk factor for anxiety and depression because these are hormones. Insulin is a hormone. It's throwing off the hormones in the way your body is signaling. So these are true physiological things. It's not just some abstract thing. But then there's mental, emotional components to it as well. Like you said, when someone has you know, acne that's ravaging breakouts in their, in their life, that's going to impact their mental health as well. So this bi-directional relationship between our thoughts and emotions and our physiology is really fascinating to me because our physiology, like our gut microbiome or hormones, inflammation levels will impact our thoughts and emotions, impact our mental health. But conversely, our thoughts and emotions like 
through a situational problem like a insecurity like with their body or a stressful job or toxic relationship or you know social media and like all the fomo inducing content there all that stuff will impact their physiology so our body is so interconnected but this bi-directional relationship between thoughts and emotions and physiology is definitely something that i wanted to exp- explore in the book hmm. well it's it's fascinating and and so optimistic that's what i love about it is it's not just laying out the problems it's actually telling you not only are these conditions treatable but they're reversible um, and some pretty serious mm-hmm. stuff too which i know you and Seamus talk about on on the podcast you think like MS mm-hmm. and things like um, rheumatoid arthritis, you know, actually being able to reverse that and treat yeah. that is is really optimistic and, and awesome. Um, you know, obviously, I have a skincare company, and so I wanted to really dive into some of the issues related to skin with you because I think there are so many things we can be doing to treat some serious skin disease with food. And I want to raise awareness for that because I'm a huge believer in it. Um, you know, you talk about throughout the book, you mention skin on multiple, multiple pages of the inflammation spectrum. And it's one of the sort of barometers of whether or not somebody's reacting to food when you're doing your elimination protocol. And so I wanted mm-hmm. to really dive into, um, you know, how is the skin in your mind linked to inflammation and you know, is there a physiological change in the skin when someone eats something that causes inflammation? Mm. Yeah. So our skin in many ways is that, like you said, a barometer or a check engine light. If a check engine light comes on the car, you know, something's not right underneath that proverbial uh, hood. Uh, so that's how I see that the, the, the skin it's and in some ways there, and there's studies to show this is that the skin in many ways for many people is really the outer representation of the gut lining. So almost think of like, if this is a mirror image, my, my face, my skin is a mirror image of what my gut lining looks like. And in many ways, that is true. Um, researchers connect it through what's known as the gut-skin axis. It's what goes on in, in, the, in the gut impacts the skin. What, what, what is, uh, what's the root cause of that in the gut is the ripple effect is manifesting on the skin. And of course, there's exceptions to that. It's not always just the gut, but it is for many people a major component, if not the totality of it. But for many people, it's at least a component of it. It doesn't mean it's the only entirety of their, their puzzle, but it's a piece of the puzzle. So yeah, it is definitely something that I've seen many, many, many times because my day job is like we have the podcast super exciting I write the book super exciting but all that stuff is outer is a ripple effect of my day job of consulting patients and looking at labs and really seeing the connection of this so my days are spent via webcam like we're talking right now consulting people in different states and countries and looking at these skin issues or different inflammatory problems but skin issues is definitely one of the top patient bases that I see because it's so common, yeah, absolutely. So rosacea, eczema, acne, psoriasis, these are all inflammatory problems that I would put for many people, especially psoriasis and eczema uh, and uh, different autoimmune type rashes, let's call them that, are somewhere on this autoimmune inflammation spectrum. And if they're not autoimmune in nature, without, without a doubt, inflammatory. Just to be clear there, because you could have autoimmune conditions all autoimmune conditions are inflammatory, but not, not all inflammatory problems are autoimmune, meaning not all inflammatory problems mean the immune system's actually turning against certain parts of the body and attacking it. But 
without a doubt that many skin problems have autoimmune components to them. So many times we will find, if not the, it's the overwhelming majority of cases we find, gut components to these people's skin problems. Uh, so you have to go upstream to them. And of course, there is two sides of that coin, like the topical support the topical regime that somebody is doing is definitely important to heal to promote healthy skin barrier to downregulate topical inflammation and your skin is our largest organ so what we put on our skin is largely absorbed so in many ways i see topicals as medicine in and of itself uh, to really calm and soothe inflammation both locally and systemically but Conversely, you have to deal with the inside too and from the inside out. So every food we eat either feeds inflammation or fights it. So I resolved my own eczema by going off gluten and dairy. So I tell people that all the time, although I sell eczema products, I'd rather not. You know, in my mm -hmm. optimal world, nobody has eczema and I truly believe in the connection between food and the health of the skin. And so you talk a lot about gluten in the book and you talk about dairy and specifically casein, but then you also talked about some really interesting things like histamines and salicates. And it was sort of that idea of, okay, if, if this, you've eliminated these and it's still not working, let's go a little bit deeper. Um, mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, in someone with psoriasis, for instance, because that's one of the most difficult skin conditions to treat topically for sure. Um, how mm -hmm. would you sort of diagnose someone and how would you sort of start the process of elimination and how would you kind of come to resolution? I think that's one of the reasons why um, I wrote the book was for people to have agency over their wellness because a lot of this stuff where while it's steeped in functional medicine principles and sort of the science behind it all, a lot of this stuff, at least out of the gate, there are many people that don't have a functional medicine doctor that aren't looking for one, but they want to start making positive changes in their life. So that's where I think the book's a great resource for that because the book starts off with a quiz and the quiz is adapted from questions that I ask patients. I just made it more user-friendly, less, you know, doctor-ish. Um, and then you can fill the, whatever that technical term is, uh, so that you fill out the quiz and you go through the different systems of the inflammation spectrum. And from there, they'll get their toolbox. And a lot of times people with skin issues will fall under almost always some sort of polyinflammation category because it's meaning there's inflammation in more than one area. It's probably going to impact the gut. It's going to impact this autoimmune component and probably an, a hormonal component for a certain sect of them. And it could be a combination. It could be one of those, but it's, it's more, it's more oftentimes it's going to be more than one of those. And then from there, they're going to get different things to focus on. So different foods to focus on, different herbs to focus on, different lifestyle practices to focus on that research shows to be beneficial for that specific area. Um, but specifically for skin issues, it's focusing on those toolboxes, but it's also leaning into that elimination diet approach if they aren't doing that already. So if they aren't doing that already, I think it's a great entry point to look at the core four track and the eliminate track. And for people that don't know, core four are the four foods that are most likely to cause inflammation in most people. But because of bio-individuality, we're all different. We're all going to have different responses. I'm not saying all these foods have to be avoided for everybody and they're the cause of all the problems, but <clears throat> because research shows them to be the most problematic, 
it's going to behoove you that's going through this polyinflammation skin reaction problem to to mitigate those variables, to decrease those variables, to see which one's causing a problem in you and which ones maybe aren't. So the core four are going to be grains, which includes gluten-containing grains and gluten-free grains, and then added sugar, high omega-6 oils like canola oil, vegetable oil, and uh, dairy. Uh, and I have a nuanced conversation in the book about dairy, the different types of it, and same with grains too. But for the sake of simplicity, that's the core four. And then the eliminate track, which can also impact skin for some people, is going to be the core four plus four more or eight eliminate. So it's the eight foods that can cause reactions in people. That's adding in beyond the core four. It's adding in nightshades, <clears throat> which are peppers, tomatoes, eggplants, goji berries, white potatoes. They can that can definitely cause <clears throat> sorry uh, skin reactions in people and other sources of inflammation. Next, we have nuts and seeds, legumes, and eggs. All of those eight foods <clears throat> are, they are all, especially the, the additional four, those are not junk foods, right? They're not, they're whole foods from the earth. They're, they're healthy by all stretch of the imagination. So there's nothing inherently wrong with them, but because of the alkaloids in the nightshades or the lectins in the nuts and seeds and legumes or the albumin in the egg white, just like the casein in the dairy or the gluten, which is technically a type of lectin in the grain, those can cause reactions. Those food proteins can cause reactions in people's immune systems because we're all different. I may do fine, I, I do fine with eggs, but some may, someone may not. It can cause skin reactions. I, I, I do great with legumes and beans, but some people I are do not, not going to. <laughs> I definitely yeah. do not do legumes. And that's that's bioindividuality, you know? And I love that idea because, you know, for so long, I mean, I'm 50. So, you know, I've lived through decades where there was one size fits all in terms of this idea of how you eat. And mm -hmm. it's just so wrong. I mean, I have a colleague who went to an Ayurvedic practitioner and was put on a mung bean diet, 100% mung beans. She happens to be someone who cannot tolerate legumes. So she felt worse than she's ever felt in her life. Yeah, she bloated. It's a lot of legumes. It was just <laughs> legumes all the time. It was a legumarama. And so, you know, it's this idea that I love that you talk about in the book and that you espouse is that, you know, a tomato is a healthy food. It's nutrient dense. It has antioxidants, but not for a lot of people. It can cause mm -hmm. inflammation. This idea that you just, you know, mentioned that it doesn't have to be junk food. It just doesn't have to be the right food for you. And yeah. that that thing that may be the sort of crux of your eczema or psoriasis may be a food that somebody else can eat healthfully and, and be fine. And I think that's yeah. such an important message too. And I love the idea that you sort of go through the forensics, if you will, to figure mm -hmm. out what it is. Totally. And, you know, in your mind, um, is everything, and I know this is maybe controversial, is everything ultimately treatable if sort of caught at the right moment and treated with the right sort of combination of therapies, whether medical and functional combined? Um, do you think everything's treatable? I wouldn't go as far as saying everything, but I would say the majority, overwhelming majority. And I would say very severe instances that would be all, for all intents and purposes, many people have counted out as this is, there's nothing for you. You just basically have to live with this. And you've tried every medication under the sun and you haven't seen any improvement even with those. I've seen over the past 11 years, people completely regain their health. So without a doubt, it's the overwhelming majority of cases. And we're used to very difficult cases. These are not like the average, like they already know not to eat junk food. They're, they're very well read, erudite patients that have had to be their own doctors in many ways. I've seen they, them overcome these health issues. If I could see them, 
I can't think of all the people I don't get to talk to, like all the amount of people that aren't doing what my patients are doing that really have it a lot easier than my patients if they just stopped eating all these inflammatory foods and they could change your life. So hopefully the book does that. Hopefully books like mine do that too um, because this information's at our fingertips. That's the awesome time that we live in is that information, it, as far as the internet is concerned, is so democratized. People have access to the stuff whereas a generation ago, it was like, no. It was like you had to really, really seek it out. You went to your doctor. Your doctor didn't talk about this at all. Now it's different uh, and people can listen to podcasts like this. And, and I also love it. the fact that you're doing group programming as well for people that might not be able to afford doing a one-on-one with you, that you're doing group yeah. programming just to sort of, as you say, democratize, democratize the information. Um, it's amazing. Yeah. So thank you for doing that. Thank you. One of the things I wanted to talk about is genetics, because a lot of times we hear um, when I'm in Sephora stores talking about skin fix and the skin barrier and eczema, people will say, but it's genetic. You know, my mom had it, my grandmother had it, it's just genetic. And it's sort of this, like, there's nothing I can do. And you talk a lot in the yeah. book about how, yes, you may have genetic predispositions, um, but that you can work on a, an approach that's supportive of sort of quelling those in a way. Can you talk a bit about that and sort of, you know, the fact that genetics is not a predetermined path? Yeah, totally. And that's the other thing too, you're right. It is quite um, a new thought for many people. And it's shrinking, I think, because people are aware of epigenetics now more than ever, but it's still, we have a long way to go raising people's awareness around this, that if you look at different studies, like the Okinawa study, different studies uh, on twins, like the Danish twin study, that you're going to see the overwhelming majority ever anywhere from between, between like, uh, like 75 to over 90% of how long somebody's lived, the health that they have is due to epigenetics. These are lifestyle things that the foods we're eating or the foods we're not eating. Our stress levels, our sleep, exposure to toxins, gut problems that we talked about, all of these epigenetic things are constantly and dynamically influencing genetic expression. So the old idea was that this sort of immutable, predestined genetic code that was like unchangeable is really an archaic view of genetics in most cases that the the new science and when i say new it's not all of it's not super new we're talking about the last 10 15 20 years still we're looking at epigenetics is that we really can can influence a lot of our genetic expression to a, to a large degree so uh genetics is very a small percentage of it for most people and the, all this epigenetic stuff is either turning on or turning off genetic expression, turning on good genes, turning on bad genes, turning off good genes, turning off bad genes. So that's what epigenetics lifestyles those issues are. So I see all the time people, because most of my people, my patients are people with autoimmune conditions or some sort of autoimmune reactivity. There's a genetic component to that. So research estimates that for these autoimmune issues, it's again about a third of that puzzle is genetics but two-thirds is epigenetics so that's the lifestyle stuff that can trigger that genetic predisposition for something but that someone can have genes for autoimmune issues but doesn't mean they're going to have that expression so for example like we see a lot of and i have a double snip to this as well mthfr c677t that's one gene variant that it's a, a snip it's a single nucleotide polymorphism it's a gene variant this gene is associated with autoimmune issues. I have autoimmune conditions on both sides of my family. doesn't mean that I'm going to have autoimmune issues myself. 
Uh, so you have to do what you can to support your immune system to balance it and not constantly stress out an already stressed out immune system, one that's more prone to being stressed out. So the analogy that I use is like a, a mug, like a, a coffee mug. Some people have big mugs, some people have small mugs. That's your genetic tolerance to stressors. Some people can fill it up with tons of stressors all day long. They're eating junk, they're smoking, they're not sleeping well, they, they're just living a really not clean life. And they're never going to overflow because they have massive mugs. Uh, but a lot of my patients have smaller mugs. So they're going to overflow easier. You can't change your mug size, but you can change what you put in it. And that's the food, your stress, toxins, all these lifestyle things. So that's how I, I think of it and explain it. I love that. Because <clears throat> again, it's it's optimistic and I'm an eternal optimist. You know, I don't like this idea that you just say, my dad's type 2 diabetic, I have insulin resistance, so I'm just going to have all the issues associated. No, I'm not. I'm going to tackle it and deal with it and I can yeah. fix it. Um one of the things I wanted to touch on, which is maybe a little bit um, more of a vanity metric with respect to what you do, is that uh, you interviewed Dr. Nigma Talib the other day on Goodfellas. I love that interview. She's Canadian as well. Yay. And oh, cool. we interviewed Dr. Pericone a few weeks ago, and he was sort of the father of this idea that eating an anti-inflammatory diet can give you younger looking skin. And you know, you guys talked on the, your podcast about how there is an anti-aging effect to all of this great stuff, which is not obviously the purpose of it, but is a is an end benefit of it. And if you know, if, if the folks listening could see you, <laughs> you are a glowing recommendation for this diet. So, do you believe that if you figure out what are the foods that work best for you, if you figure out your biochemistry and you are able to follow an anti-inflammatory diet, that it could have sort of benefits to the skin and give you more glowing, radiant, bouncy skin that in effect gives you an anti-aging benefit. Oh, certainly. Thank you for the kind words. I didn't know you were Canadian. Well, I Canadian? live in Canada. I'm actually American, but I, I'm oh. dual. Okay. Where, whereabouts? Nova Scotia. Oh, cool. My wife wants to go to that part of Canada because she likes, what's the book? It's Oh, Anne of Green Gables? Um, Anne of, that's what it is, Anne of Green Gables. Prince Edward Island. So come, but only come in July okay. and August, September. Okay. But you should come and look. We would love to show you around. Oh, I would, oh my goodness. I'll have to tell her. She's going to be so pumped about this. But yeah, <laughs> she, if she could live that life, uh, <laughs> she would totally do it. It's very anti-inflammatory up here. It's yes, a very right. quiet, beautiful. calm, beautiful life. Lots of shellfish. It's, it's good. Awesome. Cool. So you'll probably want to walk around with a bonnet or something like that to be. We have a care. bonnet here, actually. We have an anti okay. Yeah, we do. Okay. We're all cool. set. <laughs> and so, anyways, from anti aging, Enigma is an amazing doctor, an amazing friend of mine as well. And she, yes, yeah, she's from Vancouver. So, basically, without a doubt, it's going back to my earlier statement that our skin is this outer representation of what's going on in our body. That includes supporting suppleness and glowing and radiance and supporting healthy aging. Of course, we're all aging but the problem with so many people is that they have accelerated aging it's it's they're looking a lot older than they should so we're not saying aging is a bad thing but they should be aging healthily and in context with their actual age so the in many many ways so we're talking about uh, let's talk about macronutrients first so we're talking about healthy fats like avocados or olives, extra virgin olive oil, wild caught fish. These amazing fats uh, help with skin hydration. They also help with providing fat soluble vitamins like vitamin A, true retinol, 
uh, and things like wild caught fish and even grass fed beef and these true retinol your body's getting from from these uh, fat soluble sources um, and vitamin D vitamin K2 all really needed for healthy skin function um, uh, vitamin A in the in plant sources is beta carotene which is good too but your body has to convert that to retinol to really be in its bioavailable source and a lot of people with inflammatory health problems and people specifically with with gut health issues, their conversion of beta carotene to retinol is quite low. So to make sure you're getting ample amounts of bioavailable vitamin A retinol and not just beta carotene is important for using food as medicine for your skin. Um, and then the healthy fats themselves are great at calming inflammation, like I said, and hydration, omega fats specifically, and, uh, and, and all the micronutrients and polyphenols and antioxidants you're gonna get from different variety of vegetables and uh, fruits and things like that. So all great things in that way. Uh, and specifically, if you look at macronutrients and what I talk about in Ketotarian, when you have a higher healthy fat, clean, mostly plant-based clean keto, I'm not talking about like a dirty keto diet, but basically a high healthy fat, moderate protein, low carbohydrate diet, that does something specifically for your skin too. In addition to all the healthy fats, the fat-soluble vitamins like retinol you need for your skin, it's also providing your body this state of metabolism that's called nutritional ketosis. I'm not saying you always have to be in ketosis, but at least explore and dip into it to tap into some of these benefits that I'm talking about, like autophagy. It's your cellular recycling. So it's your cellular renewal. Think of it as your anti-aging pathway of your body. Your body can naturally do that in a state of autophagy most people have such dampened autophagy pathways, they're not able to tap into that. So ketosis puts you in a little bit of autophagy, uh, and it does a lot of other things for your mitochondria, which you need for healthy cellular energy too. Uh, it increases mitochondrial biogenesis and ketosis too. Uh, and it's an anti-inflammatory state. Beta-hydroxybutyrate downregulates inflammation, which we talked about is not a good thing for our skin either so a lot of that cool stuff that's all nutrition that's all nutrition stuff that you can really dip into and experiment with um and then different food medicines like bone broth of course have collagen uh and hyaluronic acid and things in that to really uh, support your skin in that way too I love to sort of think of it as one plus one equals three, that, you know, certainly we can use topicals that have those good fats and the lipids that are going to help restore the lipids and the so, uh, the hyaluronic acids and the collagens, but you really need to be coming at it from both directions. And, you know, topicals can support only so much, but you need to, to sort of be working on both in both directions. Yeah. Um, one of the interviews that I listened to with you and Elise Lunan on Goop, another one of my favorites. I love Elise. So cool. She's amazing. You talked about Hellman's therapy, and I thought it was super cool, and especially in this over-sanitized state that we're in right now, which obviously we have to be in. I would never tell people not to sanitize their environments or not to wash their hands, but you specifically talked about how there's less autoimmune disease in the developing world and how we're sort of systematically killing off some of these parasites that we need to have in our world in order to stay in balance. And so I just wanted you to talk a little bit about this Hellman's therapy idea and you know, maybe even in the context of our over-sanitized world right now, what could we do? Obviously, we can't inject ourselves with parasites, but what could we do to sort of balance out this over-sanitization 
and keep our microbiomes as sort of safe as possible. Yeah. And I think like you're right, we live in an interesting time right now where people are sanitizing and that's the advice. And it's really probably not the time to be talking specifically about what over sanitization looks like. I do think it's a problem. And I do think it's comes with a price tag for people to be over sanitizing. Um, and for this overly fearful People are like afraid of their own hands right now. I, I, you know, it's definitely, in my opinion, going to be a component to problems down the line. But you have to weigh cause and you know what's the pros and cons at this point. I think it's sometimes in certain instances important to be overly due diligent with things for a time. But ultimately, when you're looking at the context of modern human history, that's what I'm talking about. Is that the over sanitization of everything under the sun is creating resistant bugs and resist and causing the immune system that co-evolved with these microbes to really be living in a brave new world where this mismatch this evolutionary mismatch between genetics and epigenetics is really at the heart of a lot of what researchers are looking at this is not just some functional medicine practitioner's opinion this is if you look at the research on pubmed and what they're looking at at uh, what is the major or what is at least a component to what's triggering autoimmune conditions like never before in human history that is this evolutionary mismatch and the, we live where we have great advancements in, of modernity and sanitation is great but it's that balance that we've lost and this over sanitization and over sterilization of so many things and soil depletion as far as our food supply is concerned that's caused a real disruption of the microbiome not just the microbiome in our gut which is certainly a major part of it but even the microbiome on our skin which there's a skin microbiome as well and that's another component to these inflammatory problems of the skin and systemically as far as autoimmune conditions are concerned because your gut is 75% of your immune system. So when you're dealing with autoimmune issues or inflammatory problems, which is in a product of the immune system, you have to look at where the predominance of the immune system resides, which is in your gut. So yeah, it's it, helminthic therapy. Helminth is a Greek word that means to worm. It sounds much nicer when you say helminths, but it, it's worm therapy uh, in English. But basically, it's these non-pathogenic, beneficial, symbiotic uh, helminths or worms that uh, mimic uh, things that humans would have had for a long time, but are lost, losing that diversity of the microbiome. Because these are non-human parasites. They cannot live to adulthood. Uh, they are not negative in any way they're not going to cause infestation we don't think of that that they can't do that uh, so it's part of the microbiome and and humans would have again co-evolved with things like helminths for a long time and the decimation of the microbiome is one component that researchers are looking at is what's triggering this this autoimmune storm that we see in the world today so helminths you take them they're microscopic but they're in like a little chaser basically and you throw, throw it back <laughs> a worm chaser and they they the mechanism is really exciting and i wrote about this on on goop and on at drworldcold.com but the research is really cool of how it upregulates t regulatory cells t regs or t regulatory cells are needed for the balancing of our immune system so when you lose that immune balance that's when you see hyperinflammation and the immune system to lose its sense of self then sort of mistakes the thyroid or mistakes the skin or mistakes the brain 
as a pathogen and starts attacking it because there's a lack of recognition of self. Um, and two regulatory cells help to uh, maintain and kind of open the eyes of the immune system to say, no, you're actually destroying yourself um, and, and prevent that uh, hyperinflammatory response. So you don't always have to take helminths. So the goal of it is to take it to a certain degree where it's the immune system's modulated in a way where you see decreased severity, decreased frequency of your symptoms, and then wean yourself off of that. Obviously, this is not for everybody. Not everybody needs helminths. So you should be done with a doctor and if it's clinically appropriate, but yeah, that is a tool that people can experiment with. It's pretty cool. And I mean, are there things that we can do just day to day, you know, if we're using Clorox wipes and we're constantly using hand sanitizer, are there any counterbalances to that in your opinion? Yeah. Like I know when we take antibiotics, we're supposed to take probiotics. Like are there things we can do in our external world to introduce back good mm -hmm. pathogens or bacteria or Definitely. Yeah, if you think about it first, I mean, even the advice specific to COVID-19 and, and, and the coronavirus right now, the way that this virus is, is that just general hand soap will disrupt the virus and kill it and can be effective. So yes, people are using a lot of antibacterial stuff and that's their personal decision and people can make that decision on that. But if you even look at the advice of what the CDC in the United States, at least in what other people are saying is that just general hand soap because of the actual cell membrane of this virus uh, can kill off the virus just with that. So maybe people don't need all the harsh stuff uh, just if you're a general healthy adult. I mean, obviously immunocompromised people, there's different exceptions to what I just said there, but generally healthy adults could maybe get by with just less antibacterial stuff, less harsh things in their life. Um, but even if they use the harsh stuff for a time because of a pandemic, there are things you can do. So fermented foods is a wonderful thing, whether you're in a pandemic or not in a pandemic. It's a great way to repopulate the microbiome, provide probiotics and prebiotic fiber to support a healthy microbiome because the bacteria eat what we eat. So that can help produce more microbes. And these are powerful food medicines. So people have different bacterial colonies and imbalances in the microbiome. So not everybody has, can take high levels of this. So start off low, slow, because people with SIBO or histamine intolerance or people with um, like IBS, which, which can be driven by SIBO, uh, need to start off low with this. But things like sauerkraut, things like kimchi, uh, things like coconut kefir or water kefir, um, kombucha, these are all things to support a healthy microbiome and a variety of plant foods because the fiber from those plant foods will help your bacteria eat that and produce short chain fatty acids like butyrate, which you need for a healthy immune system um, and other short chain fatty acids. So those are th some things that people can do. Things that calm inflammation are things that are, that are good for the immune system because inflammation is a product of the immune system. So things that calm and balance the immune system, it's a good thing uh, overall. Again, and if people listen to this conversation in a year from now and it's different than in the middle of a pandemic, it still applies. All of this stuff is timeless. You don't want to go to all this effort to take care about everything that you're eating and then put endocrine disruptors and synthetic fragrance and obesogenics on your skin. So I'm assuming you follow um, a clean skincare uh, regimen. Um, if you follow one at all, <laughs> hopefully you use something in the skincare world. So what is your skincare regimen, Dr. Cole? 
I like this question. This is good. People don't ask me that. People, we're always talking about the in stuff, inside stuff. But I am an advocate for clean skincare and the topical stuff as well. It's it's important too. And for some people, it is a major game changer where they're dealing with all the internal stuff, but they need the topical stuff to really bring it home and take it to the next level. So I'm sure an advocate of it. I get. I get. I'm in the very blessed position to. I get sent stuff. Uh, to try. So I sometimes will rotate it based on the things I'm get sent. Which is fair. But, I mean, even I is, try a lot of stuff because yeah. So it's fun. And it's, <laughs> it's fun. It's cool. It's fun. And I'm very thankful for that. And so I use a cleanser right now. I'm using, I'll just show you, tell you what I'm using right now. Uh, Cause it does change. But right now I'm using like a Tata Harper sent me this, uh, like daily cleanser. It has a slight exfoliant, but it's gentle. It's not super much. It's like this, almost like this oily thing, but it, I don't use water. She told me to just do circular motions and then I rinse I love off. her stuff. I love Tata. She's a cool yeah. human. Super smart. She's Vermont too. Basically Canadian. Basically Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> and then I use uh, Barbara Sturm. They sent me uh, the hyaluronic stuff. Yes. Yeah. And I use the calming, the calming serum too, because I've been outside and like doing yard work and things like that. So getting some sun. So I use that. Um, and then I, I love Alatura. I don't know if you know them. He's a friend of mine. His name's Andy is in Los Angeles, but he does, um, he has some cool serums as well. And, uh, he has this night cream that I use. It has like B propolis and things like that. So I use that at night. I think that's basically all I do. That's a good yeah. regimen. I mean, yeah. for a dude, especially not to be sexist yeah. about it, because hey, a lot no, of dudes hey. use a lot of skincare, but a lot don't. So that's awesome. Yeah. Well, hey, I, I know I only have one set of this. So <laughs> well, and you keep it looking good. I mean, between the inside and the outside, you look yeah. about 12. So for those who are listening, <laughs> do whatever Dr. Cole says. We're going to send you some skin fix. You can play with it I too. Love it. We have this cool patented lipid complex that mimics lipids in the skin barrier to help replenish those lipids. That sounded like an ad. It, it wasn't intended to, but I'm going to send you some to try. But our product in particular looks at the quantity of lipids in the barrier because as you will know, you know, the lipids mm -hmm. decrease as we age, which causes all sorts of other things, signs of aging, sensitivity. So there's a link. So there are studies that show that there are physiological um, things that occur in our bodies, inflammation being one of them that decrease the amount of lipids in the skin. Um, do you sort of, and you talked a lot about fatty foods that are helpful in um, the health of the skin. Are there any links specifically to the barrier and the lipids in the barrier that you know of? Well, I would say a few things that, that when you're focusing on healthy fats internally and you're ingesting healthy fats, that is essential for building a healthy skin barrier. So the foods you eat without a doubt in many ways support a healthy skin barrier, healthy fats being one of them, fat soluble vitamins, which are oftentimes in fats. And if they're not in fats, uh, in like different vegetables, you will make them more active uh, when you are having healthy fats. So for example, like a sweet potato has beta carotene, the body then converts that into retinol. You need healthy fats to make that more bioavailable anyways. Um, so think of like 
olive oil with your sweet potato. Uh, it's a good, big good slab of grass-fed butter. Yeah, there you go. Grass-fed butter. You could do ghee, clarified butter. It takes the casein out, um, and you're kind of getting the fat-soluble vitamins from the actual butter or ghee itself too uh, in that case. So you're getting the retinol and the beta carotene, which can can be converted into retinol. So that's definitely a great way to support a healthy skin barrier. And then going back to collagen-rich foods or foods that support collagen production. So if you have things like bone broth uh, or uh, things that are high in vitamin C, which is needed for the production of endogenous collagen too. So different vegetables and fruits with um, vitamin C, like citrus fruits is one obviously thing that comes to mind uh, that will produce ample amounts of collagen, which is needed for a healthy skin barrier. Awesome. And can't wait for you and your wife to come up to Nova Scotia. I'm serious when I say you need to let us show you around. I would love that. Thank you so much for your time and for being on this podcast. And um, it was just super fun. Lots of really helpful information that I hope will help a lot of people. Thanks for having me. You can learn more about Dr. Cole's work by visiting his website, www.drwillcole.com. And you can follow him on Instagram at Dr. Will Cole. I learned so much from talking to Dr. Cole. Here are three things I can't stop thinking about. One, I'm fascinated by the concept of the gut-skin axis and how what's happening in the gut relates to some of the most common skin disorders. I'll be tracking my diet and my kids very closely. Two, I've always believed in the idea that food is medicine, and I'm especially interested in how eating fermented foods like kimchi and kombucha can boost overall health. Three, we're obviously thinking about the skin barrier all the time here, and I loved how Dr. Cole spoke about strengthening it through the lens of diet. Retinol, healthy fats, collagen, I'm especially excited to develop a new diet for optimal skin barrier health. Thank you for listening to this episode of Total Skin Nerds. Please come back next time when our guest will be Dr. Nigma Talib, and please subscribe to our show on iTunes and Spotify. Total Skin Nerds is produced by Rob Corso, Casey Kahn, and Howie Kahn for Freetime Media. Our theme music is by John Palmer. Special thanks to Yvette Johnstone, Catherine Spears, Kara Canning, Ginny Chen, Jane Meredith, and Megan Collins. And I'm your host, Amy Risley. Till next time, nerds. Total Skin Nerds is brought to you by SkinFix. We're clean, clinically active, and on a mission to help heal your skin. Total Skin Nerds is a podcast created to educate. It is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical advice. If you are looking for help with a skin concern, we would encourage you to seek the advice of a board-certified dermatologist, functional medical practitioner, or other qualified healthcare provider. You can find a registry of board-certified dermatologists in the U.S. at find dash a dash derm.aad.org and in Canada at dermatology.ca. For a registry of qualified functional medical practitioners, you can visit ifm.org. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. We hope that you enjoy listening to Total Skin Nerds as much as we enjoy making it.